Hi, welcome to the 44th edition of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. Uh, we are I've committed the number of editions to memory now by using rider uniform numbers, so we do so today, where we proceed today uh, recognizing number 44, Roger Aldag. So next week only. is number 45, so we'll be, be Glenn Dobbs time, Mike McCullough time, so... Uh, 46 is a weird number in rider history. There's no legends who've ever worn it, so I'm going to have to work on uh, what we do a fortnight from now. Uh, Len Ortman is probably the best rider ever to wear number 46. Well, that's interesting. In the center, 1946 to 52. It's a really weird number. There's it's, been no great riders or even all-star riders wearing number 46. It's kind of one of those numbers that's not uh, position-specific. Yeah, it's kind of all over the place, so... Sort of like me right now, anyway. So, for all the uh, for all the Roger Oldag fans out there, and they are legion, we salute him today. And we're going to talk a little bit later on about favorite rider players of all time. So I'm sure Ryder, uh, Roger's name is going to come up there as well. Uh, our guest today, and I've been remiss in not introducing him so far in my ramblings, Tony Plater, t- t- 2007 Grey Cup champion. Uh, yeah. Always a pleasure to be in your mom's basement to do these podcasts, Rob. <laughs> Doesn't it look like it? Yeah. Is she going to bring us cookies like last time? <laughs> this looks so 60s. I keep waiting for somebody to bring in a hi-fi. Maybe we could fondue something uh, uh, afterwards. The it's... wood paneling's uh, kind of creepy. Well, we're we're in the midst of renovations here. And we had a really nice studio that was so nice, we didn't invite you to, to uh, partake <laughs> in the proceedings because it was just too good for you and I to be there. But uh, once we have our new, our, our regular studio again, we'll have all sorts of nice pictures and everything. So yeah, I've been called the Rocky Butler of podcasting here. So this, uh, you know, obviously the starters have been hurt and you know, the second string guys away. So hey, let's bring that guy in. Well, we're going to upgrade you to Rocky Henry, <laughs> who was such a nice guy. He was. And they've had Rock Perdoni. What other? Whether they had Stony Parker as a defensive lineman once upon a Rock time. Rock Preston. Rock Preston. They've had lots of geologic names. Cliff Featherstone. Uh, who else has ended with Stone? Would there have to be some more Stones? Uh, just Rob Vanstone, who yeah, I think they should name the press box after. No, that's got to be Bob Hughes. That's another crusade that has gone nowhere. Uh, it should be. He's uh, you know he was a legend. Or, uh, or Lloyd Saunders, Johnny Esau, one of those great pioneers. I think would be a terrific choice. But I vote for Bob. Yeah, you know, he, Which, uh, this was once his office, by the way. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he he brought a great perspective to the to the football fans. I remember listening to him when I was in high school on uh, CJME where he would do kind of the, the little rider report yeah. and just crush him with that chaos by the creek. Oh, it yeah. was so much fun to listen to. Well, when I was starting here, I um, I used to get tonsillitis a lot. And when my tonsils acted up, I could do a really mean Bob Hughes impersonation. It had, the ra- had that sort of raspiness that Bob had. So I used to do a Bob Hughes impression. And I kind of it mimicked that radio thing that he used to do. And uh, Al Driver thought this was funny. So he used, to, he used to ask me, Al was one of our copy editors, he used mm-hmm. to ask me to phone the copy desk and they put it on the speakerphone and I would do my Bob Hughes um, impression. And uh, so I had the tonsillitis voice over a speakerphone, so it's going to sound really crackly. It was perfect. So I really ripped off the Bob Hughes impersonation one night and uh, I ended it with a resounding, this is Bob Hughes. And L Driver goes, no, Rob. This is Bob Hughes. Bob was walking right along the back of the... 
<laughs> Fortunately, he had a wonderful sense yeah. of humor, yeah, and he was, uh, I'm still here. So. He's one of the uh, the all time greats uh, in, the, in the in the sports reporting business, and uh, he should be remembered somehow by the Rough Riders, I believe, just because of all he did to keep the franchise alive. Yeah, and people remember Bob for being very critical, but what they people should also remember is that when the situation was very critical, Bob was always there front and center. The two tele two video two televised telethons. Televised telethons. How is that for redundant? Hmm. The two telethons that that they did, or the one in '87, the one in '97. Bob was one of the hosts. Bob was always there when this franchise needed help. You know, it, it's uh, it's interesting. You, you talk about uh, critical times and uh, and being critical in the paper. Uh, sometimes being critical is not a bad thing as long as it's fair. And I've always found people like yourself and Bob used to be very fair in their analysis. You guys would write a story that was very critical of the team. Then you'd write an unbiased uh, middle of the road, and then you would uh, give somebody a pat on the back. So I, when when I was doing communications with the Rough Riders, I always looked for that pattern. And uh, you know, to say that uh, that it always happened, I, I believe it did because I thought you guys were being very fair. You knew the importance of the team to the the public, but for your credibility, you couldn't blow smoke and say things were great. When, uh, you know, we had guys that, uh, like Leroy Paul, that couldn't cover a bed with a blanket uh, trying to, to make things happen on the field. I think you guys were really honest and and, uh, and fair to the football club. And that that's, in my mind, what was most important. Well, I remember in 99, for example, um, that was a dismal season. They didn't win a great, they, did, they didn't win a game after Labor Day. And uh, you were you were with them in 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were, yeah, of course. Yes. Because you set up the interview, and it was late in the season, and, and they, were, they were horrible. Mike Saunders was having a really good year, and uh, fortunately got injured near the end of the year and prevented it from being a really great year. But um, you set up the Mike Saunders interview for me that year, and I remember him walking into some little office at the, in Old Taylor Field. He'd, he'd just gone for lunch. He came in with a McDonald's bag and sat down, and we chatted for the longest time. And it was like, yeah, this is a terrible year, but Mike Saunders is, is having a tremendous year. And uh, and you were in the midst of that because you lined that up for me, and you know the, you, that was one of the times where you tried to extract a positive from a year that's resoundingly negative, and you need a new angle sometimes too. That team was horrible. One one of my favorite memories, as you bring things up uh, now uh, about interviews, is when uh, you and I got. Uh, Doug Flutie to meet your mom. Wasn't that amazing? That was so much fun. The, the look on her face just made, uh, just lit up the sky. It was just a, a really warm, and he was fabulous with he her. He was you great know, with her. He, he took extra time, and it, it was really a special moment. You know, we weren't always the best on the field, but I think as an organization, we tried to do a lot of the right things, and that uh, was the philosophy that Al Ford had and, and the, the, those coaches uh, that were that worked under him. But I remember that moment because it was really cool because he was on the program and your mom got a picture with him and a picture signed. So it was, yeah, that's a special moment that stands out for me. And you initiated that, actually. Uh, we're getting really tangential here, but it's a really funny story. Uh, the 95 Grey Cup uh, in Regina, and my mom and, and her second husband, uh, Alan, my, my dad died in 82 and mom remarried. And uh, they were all over Grey Cup week. And they were outside Taylor Field one day after the Stampeders had practiced. And the Stampeders are coming up. And Mum walks up to one of the Stampeders and goes, Oh, Doug, 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 you're wonderful, Doug, 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 Doug. And he posed for a picture and was really nice. So Mum, every year at Christmas, Mum gives out these photo collages as sort of highlights of the year. So she brings out 
in 95, she shows us the photo collage that included Mom and the Grey Cup. Mom and during Grey Cup week. And she goes, there's me and Doug Flutie. And I said, well, that's nice, but that's Dave Sapunjas. <laughs> and she goes, no. And she goes, yes, it is. I go, yes, it is. And she goes, no. And she's crushed. And she refused to believe that it was Dave Sapunjas. So I went home, got a Stampeders media guide, brought it back and said, see, Dave Sapunjas. So, which I wish I hadn't done. I should have just said, yeah, that was really nice of Doug. She was crushed. So I told you that story once upon a time, you know, within, within a year or two after that. And you said, it was you who said, well, you know, the Argos are here. Why don't we get your mom to meet Doug Flutie? And the, the, the scam was, I said to mom, we're upgrading your t- tickets for the Argo game, but I can't do it. You have to be there to personally upgrade your tickets. So could you meet me at the stadium at such and such a time? And then when she got there, there's Doug Flutie. And I'll never forget the look on her face. It was just priceless. And she still, they took about seven photos. Only one of them turned out. Um, a year later, mom got a dog and she named him Flutie. And I think she was taller than Doug too. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was a wonderful moment. Thank you for engineering that. Cause oh. that was, that was all, it was you. And then, uh, you and Eric Tillman were the two who orchestrated that. That was a wonderful memory for us. Yeah, it's a, it, Those are the kind of things that you remember. You don't always remember the wins and losses or, or some of the players that came, came in and out, but you remember those type of moments. Yeah, those are, those are cool. And that, that's one of the real, I think, charming things about ride, you know, following the riders. There's so many personal stories, especially with a community-owned team. You can really get to know the people who are your heroes. Yeah, and, and you know, there, there was quite a few people that, uh, that walked in that dressing room that made a difference in, in a lot of people's lives. You know, as a fan growing up, I, I enjoyed watching Mike Strickland play because he was the, the little running back that BC didn't want anymore and he came to Saskatchewan. And just his work ethic and his ability to get the job done made him a fan favorite. Yeah. yeah. You know, they didn't have much going for him in 78, but they had Mike Strickland with 1,300-plus yards mm-hmm. in rushing. And then you have uh, Lyle Wozniacki and the uh, the Wozniacki dance. Oh, I love you know. the Wozniacki. <laughs> it was uh, him and Mike Samples uh, playing around and... You know, those are the kind of things that stand out. I, you know, we sat in Section 13 and we saw a lot of bad football. I remember one season uh, where we cheered when a, the wind blew a box into the, the box. end zone. Yes. Because it was, a, it was the biggest thing that happened that game. For the, that was the closest the Riders got to a touchdown. Should have put a logo on the box. <laughs> or, the, or the things like the Willie Wilder touchdown. Yeah, it was... Uh... It, it didn't take much in those days to give you a reason to try and manufacture a cheer. Uh, we were just hoping to win the coin toss. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. I re- first downs were an event. Like it was, especially the 79 season, that team had virtually nothing. And there were several games that year where they finished with fewer than 10 first downs. So like a completion was a big deal. They, that team, they threw nine touchdown passes and 37 interceptions that year. You know, and that's over 16 games, so they'd, they'd be over 40 given the 18-game schedule. So the, the, the rider defense this year, or this past year, had more <laughs> touchdowns than the 79 riders did on offense. Isn't that amazing? amazing? Wow. Oh, my goodness. Um, what were we going to talk about anyway? We, we were going to talk that... about uh, a couple of things, the uh, favorite fun. players. Uh, you we know, sort of hinted on that. Hinted yeah, that. And, and, you know, when you – I. When I worked with the team, you, you saw some. You you, you lot, learned a lot of life lessons from guys like Glenn Suter and and Gary Lewis, two real leaders on the football club. I thought as as we, the seasons progressed and they le- when they left the team, uh, I thought we had uh, a real lack of uh, 
of toughness and leadership because those guys seem to be able to draw everybody together. We still had guys like Roger and, and uh, Bobby Jerson, but we, we did miss uh, Gary Lewis and Glenn Suter. And I always remember the, the what they brought to the locker room, how they could calm people down and get them refocused and, and get the team back to where it was. And they were both a huge assets in 89, as you know. Yeah, it's um, we can. I think we can both look at it similarly. I mean, we both grew up following the team, and then it became part of what we do vocationally. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of separated those two lives when I look at my own perspe- per- perceptions of the Rough Riders. It's sort of like there's that era where I was the fan, and there's mm-hmm. that era where since '96 when I've been covering the team, and it's it's a different existence. So I I kind of look at players that I've really gotten to like in dealing with them for what I do for a living, and I look at sort of prior to 1996 and who were the, who were the guys I just enjoyed watching strictly as a fan and I've always had that sort of line drawn mm-hmm. uh, and there's there's it's pretty much a different constituency because the team changed quite a bit personnel wise in the mid 90s because it was generally bad so um, there's not a lot of players who are in both groups what about you you you, you mean you you've you were you worked for the riders for a for a number of years and as far back as you can remember we're watching them yeah it's interesting i i agree with you i think you look at the players differently because you you get to know who they are and you think hey that's a real good guy i hope he succeeds or you know what oh, that guy's a bad apple they need to get get him out of here even though he may be somebody that the fans uh, fans really like you know and then you see other aspects of things like uh, a bobby jurison whose work ethic was phenomenal he was the first one there, the last one to leave. And he always took the time. If he found a rookie that wanted to learn and wanted to be the best they could be, after practice and meetings, Bobby would take the young guy out and on the field when everybody was gone, teach him techniques. I, wow. I have no, I don't know why somebody hasn't hired Bobby Jurison as an assistant coach. His work ethic and his knowledge of the game and just his ability to to be able to transfer that knowledge to young players uh, was uh, was phenomenal, and I give him a ton of credit because in in as you know in sports, uh, the guy that standing behind you wants your job, yeah. so the there's a tendency to not help that guy out. Uh, but Bobby was not like that. He was bigger than life. Fans loved him, and and he was. You, what you saw is what you got. He he was a true competitor, and one of those guys that would be uh, an asset to any CFL team. And the enthusiasm he has would be contagious. Oh yes, uh, absolute love of the game. You know, I always enjoyed watching and dealing with Bobby Juris, and he's one of those players that I liked watching as a as a fan, and I like dealing with, and still enjoy dealing with periodically as, as a reporter. He, he was always going to give you his honest opinion it during an interview. Great. He would never sugarcoat it and, or give you stock answers. No, I remember the Riders lost 55-9 in Winnipeg in 1997, regular season finale, and Bobby went off. It was classic. I don't think it's coincidental that they won their next two games and got to the Grey Cup. He just knew what to say and when to say it. As, as fans and uh, as employees and uh, people that cover the team, we, we've gotten to watch a lot of... Uh, great players come through here. One of mine uh, is Barry Wilburn. Uh, I thought oh, Barry Wilburn good? was probably the uh, best defensive back that's ever put on a Rough Rider jersey. 
and uh, his talent was amazing. I remember him playing, uh, we were playing Hamilton here, and he got under Earl Winfield's skin, <laughs> and Earl was always yapping at him, and Barry would just walk away, do a little strut, and make sure that uh, that he didn't catch the ball. Uh, and then you, you went, he went on to do great things in the NFL after that. He's just one of those guys that uh, stands out for you that says, hey, this this guy was a true oh, was all-star. He well, he was only that one year, that one year mm-hmm. in 93. Yeah. And uh, my goodness, what a shutdown defensive back. Just forget about throwing to whoever Barry Wilburn's got that yeah. day. Yeah, he, he, he was phenomenal. You know, and you see, you know, work ethic again, uh, a Roger Aldag. You know, he, here's a guy that comes to work, and he, he just made sure that he was going to get the job done. Yeah, and always thought that someone was. He never. Th- he, he went to camp every year thinking, "Oh, I got to make the team." Yes, it's Roger Aldag, you've won two Shenley awards, and it's still I got to make the team. Don Narcisse was the same way, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, not uh, you know, to- two totally different backgrounds. You know, you're looking at. Uh, Port Arthur, Texas. You're looking yeah. at uh, Gull Lake, Saskatchewan, but they loved it just as much. And th- that's interesting. You know, I think that's one of the challenges that coaches have in pro football is that uh, you're getting you, your team, but you're getting guys from Louisiana, Texas, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Northern Ontario, and then you try to bring them together, even though all those backgrounds are so diversified, yeah. bring them together as a team and try to find a common denominator. And we've had some coaches that have been able to do that. I thought Ken Austin did a great job of that, and uh, Cal Murphy as well as uh, uh, Don Matthews. Ken Miller, too. Oh, Ken Miller was fabulous, yes. You know, You're absolutely right. Ken was able to do that. But that's, you know, trying to put a CFL team together and make it cohesive is... To me, that's a doctoral thesis in sociology. Absolutely, take all that and try and make it work. The, the one thing that they <laughs> have, the, the one thing that they do have, is that they're here not to get rich, but uh, because of the love of the game and they want to play. So I think that's that's that first building block. But a good coach like Ken Miller was able to to make sure that those building blocks stacked up, and we had the successes that we did. So growing up, who was your favorite? It, it would have been. Uh, was it 23 or 34? Well, you know what? <laughs> 34 Absolutely. or 23. Yeah, uh, Ron Lancaster. I really liked the way he took charge on the field. He was the guy, and you knew he was the guy. And, uh, you know, I got an uh, opportunity to watch him live uh, in 77 in when we moved here. And I, I, I thought, wow, there's just a presence about him. I didn't. I, I never was able to watch uh, George Reed play live just on TV. And again, he he was he was amazing. But for sitting in the stands and watching, it has to be Ronnie Lancaster for me. Yeah, I, I was. I mean, Ronnie was it when you're growing up. Yeah. in Saskatchewan, and uh, Ronnie and George were it. I still remember where I was when I met Ron for the first time. It was the Regina Airport, 1971. Riders had lost to Winnipeg, and we met them at the airport and got autographs on the back of one of Mum's checks. Ron Lancaster, John Steele, Silas McKinney. The next year, I went to the Hickey Brothers Hockey School. And it was at the Kinsman Arena. Is that the mm-hmm. one on Elphinstone? Yes. And uh, I walk in there for my first day of hockey school. And who's sitting in the office with George Reed? And it was like meeting royalty. It was still insane. is. It still is. Hasn't <laughs> changed. So those were the two when I started following the riders. And then... Um, but those are the easy ones to say, hey, those ones. are the big fans. Who who did you find after that? Obviously, you know, uh, you, you you may have mentioned Joey Walters once Joey or twice. Um, um, very class guy. Mr. Clutch with the when the ball's thrown his way. Yeah, I... Uh, 
I became a huge Joey Walters fan very quickly. His first catch was a 39-yard beautiful over-the-shoulder catch from Ronnie against Calgary in 1977. And from that moment, I thought, I like this player. I had a chance to meet him for the first time in in, uh, 79 briefly. I had a chance to chat with him at the Golden Mile Shopping Centre outside. I think it was the Met. Or was there a Kresge's? Whatever the department store was in the Golden Mile Shopping Centre. It had an ice cream stand as part of the department store. And Joey was by the ice cream stand. So I went up to him and introduced myself. We chatted for 45 minutes. And then he apologized for taking up so much of my time. Wow. Well, that was it. I was the biggest Joey Walters fan ever. And that still hasn't changed. And if I remember correctly, he was cut by the Bombers? uh, The Bombers let him go. It was war number 73 in Winnipeg. Riders picked him up. And uh, um, they had a vacancy in the the receiving core for an import because Tom Campana had suffered a career-ending injury. And Leif Pedersen had gotten hurt that early that year too and and never played for the Riders again. So they had some vacancies in the receiving core. In comes Joey Walters and... One of the there's there's not a nicer human being in the planet, and just a great person to consider your your favorite player. So Joey was always it for me. The uh, you mentioned Leif Pedersen. I always thought he was underrated as a receiver. I thought he did a great job while he was here. And when he when he when he went to Hamilton, he showed what he could have done here. The problem is, uh, you have to beat out Steve Mazurik. You have to beat yeah. out Tom Campana. You have to beat out Red Dawson. You have to beat out you know Bob. They had tight ends back mm-hmm. then, so Bob Richardson had a receiving position. So good luck to Leif Pedersen trying to beat those guys out. But as soon as he went down east, yeah, he finished off his career down east with Hamilton just a, as a tremendous, in a tremendous fashion. Really, really nice man too. I think you see a lot of that when players actually get a chance to play, and uh, that's one of the the virtues of the CFL is that those those kids that don't get to play maybe as much in in their college years, and so they're overlooked by the NFL because they don't have that experience. They can come here. And have a good, you know, a long career in the CFL, or, you know, get uh, get the opportunity to go down and uh, play in the uh, in the NFL. Uh, his name slips my mind. Oh, Chuck Klingabil. Yeah, right. He he didn't get a chance, and then he's he here comes for two here years and... two years, and then he's a stud. You know. Yeah, it's a mm. it's an amazing story. Sadly, he he died last year prematurely yeah. in his early fifties. So, um, news of the week. Well, there was this NFL preseason game that apparently was earmarked for Regina at one point. No more as of Friday. Um, We still don't know why. Nobody's really saying what the what the ultimate uh, deal breaker was there. But the bottom line is there's no NFL preseason game, and that's that's unfortunate. They built this facility to bring events like that here, not just for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and. I think that was an opportunity lost. However, it ended up not happening. It's it's unfortunate that it didn't come to fruition. I, I agree it's an opportunity lost, not only for us to showcase Mosaic Stadium, but to showcase our city and, and, and the wonderful things that we have going on here. You know, we're, we're, we're not a... Uh, we're, we're, we're not a have-not anymore. We're, we're, we're not the lovable loser of Regina. We, we, I love Regina. That, that slogan has taken off uh, over the years. And we're, we're a city that has a lot of great amenities and, and has the ability to host world-class international events. And uh, to have the NFL join us, I think, would have been a real positive for everybody. And I'm a Raider fan. I would love to watch the, 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 the black and silver play here. Uh, I'm looking forward to going to, to Vegas at uh, in 2020 and watch them play when their stadium is made. 
Uh, but I think those are the opportunities that we get to showcase our stadium and our city and the great people that live here. And I, uh, like you said, it's a missed opportunity for us. And uh, I hope we do get an opportunity at some point to bring that type of game back here. The uh, In some circles, the Rough Riders are being blamed for the fact that this didn't come to fruition. Is that fair criticism? You know, I, I don't know all the details. I'm, I'm sure there's a little bit of blame to go to every all, all around. Uh, as a city, we need to come together and not point fingers. And I think that's where the success will be in to bring international events here. See, what, what irks me about it is, is, I mean, the Rough Riders pointed out some, some issues, and I think rightly so, that, that created some logist, could have created some logistical problems. Um, regardless, Everaz Place said that the that stadium could be converted in time from a Friday NFL game to a Saturday CFL game. So regardless of what the Riders' position was, the people who would actually have to put on the event um, felt it could be done. And then the discussion turns to, well, let's talk about Thursday instead of Friday. So suddenly, whatever the riders' concerns were, were alleviated by the fact that a different date was an option. The, the, the hold on the stadium wasn't just for the Friday. There were other dates that were in place. So if the riders were at fault here, how, how, I don't see how you can make a case for the riders being at fault here. Because... Ultimately, they could have had it on a different day, and even if they had it on that day, uh, on the Friday, they Everaz Place felt the stadium could have been turned around in time. So, how were the riders to blame here? I just don't see that. The riders have always been good corporate citizens. Uh, you know, I don't see them as a selfish organization. You know, they they they've opened the stadium for various different events. Uh, so I, I don't see that. You know, part of the issue I would I would think uh, is uh, because it was a televised game on the on the Saturday. Uh, you know, uh, the broadcast partners have to be looked after, and I know they uh, from if I remember correctly, they set up the day before as well. And there's uh, you know the, the locker room guys have to get the the equipment in, and so I think there's a lot of different factors that. Uh, that ha- went into that decision of, of trying to move the game to the Thursday. And then, you know, ultimately it's the NFL's final say to say, yes, we want to play Thursday or no, we want to have this on a Friday. Other news of the week, and I know this created a lot of discussion, Derek Taylor is a new play-by-play voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. That announcement was also made on a very eventful Friday. Derek has been at uh, TSN since November 2014. Before that, he was a global TV in Winnipeg from... I think 01 to 2014. It was also the voice of University of Manitoba Bison's football team for the better part of a decade. Um, I think this is a tremendous hire. Uh, Derek Taylor's got a lot of talent. Uh, you know, I love the research he does uh, during the the, uh, the CFL broadcast games. Uh, the little uh, Dr. Taylor or whatever. Details. The, yeah, the, the details that he, uh, he put together uh, shows me that he's got a love for the game and that... Uh, you know he's got an energy. Uh, uh, he's a very good sportscaster, and uh, and he seems to be able to do a good job with the interviews. He's got some some background with the Bisons. I, I think it's going to be a you know this is a prime job, and he's got you know Rod Peterson was very good at what he did when he, when he was on the air, absolutely. So Darius got some uh, big shoes to fill, but I think they hired the right guy to to come in and uh, to fill those shoes. I think he's got some big shoes to fill when you look at the job Michael Ball did in the interim between Rod leaving and and, uh, and Derek being hired. 
Uh, Michael Ball hosted a lot of editions of the Sports Cage and on CKRM and did a, just an absolutely phenomenal job. Uh, yeah, Michael's uh, very committed, uh, and he's got a, a great football background playing with the Rams and then doing some of the Ram broadcasts. Uh, very, very dedicated and talented individual. Uh, I think too many people would have missed him in the morning. So <laughs> yeah, I, you know, he's, that that show is so good and such a hit that you wonder, uh, you know, if, when when you look at the that having that as a property in your CKRM, maybe you just don't want to mess with that because yeah. he's 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 been he's such a presence on that on on that show and is so very good at, at doing that. And he, he makes, was he was doing the morning show and he was doing the sports cage. I mean. <laughs> That was amazing service and just an amazing job by Michael, and I hope that gets recognized and applauded. Uh, you know, Har- Harvard's uh, been a, a good partner to the Rough Riders and 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 to the the community, and I think that uh, you know Michael has done uh, a great service uh, for the community. His morning show is awesome. You know, they, they they're great in the mornings. They make you yep. laugh. They they get you going on the in, in the right mood. And, and you're right, he did a nice job on the sports cage. Uh, but I'm glad he's going to be on the morning show because in that way, I, I, my, my mornings will start with a smile. There may be a there may be another ball down the road. If he, if, who knows? Ethan Ball may end up playing for the Rough Riders one day. What a football player! The young man has oh. got some talent, and I look forward to seeing him as he continues to progress. We had a message from a reader, uh, and I was remiss in not addressing this earlier because we do invite readers to contact us contact us with questions or suggestions or whatever, and. Uh, and this can be done by emailing me at rvanstone at postmedia.com, which is the first time I haven't choked on saying that correctly. rvanstone at postmedia.com. I, did, I nailed it. Uh, Rod Fink sent us a note, and uh, we, we, we mentioned a few weeks back that we were going to be talking about favorite players, and, and he said, you know, you could probably do a, a show just on Ronnie and George. Mm-hmm. You know, and George turns 80 in, on October 2nd, so I wow. think we're, I think we're going to be doing a George Reed show. Uh, in the in the fall um but he mentioned some other players uh rhett dawson steve molner jj barnagle the, oh, the yes. hybrid of john huffnagle yeah. and joe barnes in 1981 uh how can you forget ray algard i mm-hmm. loved watching ray algard um roger aldag bob poley gene makowski weston dressler um and I think there were three players who played for the Rough Riders that Rod didn't name. <laughs> I, I mean, we could we could fill, I think, a show on each one of those players, and everybody's got their own personal favorites. I liked all. I loved watching Ray Algard. Ray Algard was a football player's football player, and in the open field, when Ray got the ball, and there's six three two twenty against, say, Anthony Drawhorn, a or a diminutive overmatched defensive back. Like it was. It was so much fun to watch Ray Elgard. I loved, loved, loved watching Ray. He he was, uh, you know, once he got that, got that momentum going, Wasn't there was no great? stopping. Oh, my it goodness. It was so great. It was, he was just a, a wrecking ball. You know, that and, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, to watch his pro- progression as a, as, as a young Canadian coming into the, to the CFL, you know, there's a lot of talk about the ratio right now. But if if you don't have that number of Canadians, then Ray Elgar doesn't get an opportunity to develop into the superstar and Hall of Famer that he is, and that we enjoyed watching as he played. You know, he had great hands, and no, there was nobody tougher. Oh, he was a tight end playing slot back. I, I'm not sure we'll ever see a player like that again. Yeah, he, I'm not sure that there's you're going to. It's just 
I think that 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 they broke the mold after Real Guard retired in 1996. I there there hasn't been a I can't think of anybody of that description. There's been tough receivers, but there's there's there'll never be another Ray Algard. No, he he would rather run over you oh. <laughs> than around you. And he could run uh, past them. Yes, you know, if he chose to, but he'd rather run through them because it know, was more fun for him. In in 1994, in the 94 season, Ray scored three touchdowns of more than 50 yards, and he turned 35 that year. Who does that after turning 35? Like he was he was very underrated as far as how he could get by people, mm-hmm. but. Uh, you know, people remember, I think, more, you know, Jeff Fairholm running by people. Yes. Yeah. But Ray could do it too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved watching Jeff Fairholm too. What, Jeff what? Fairholm, when he had a step, it was like the roadrunner. It was over. Like yeah. all he needed was, was a step on a defender. And it was over. It was done. Like it was uncanny how Jeff never got caught from behind. Yeah. He, uh, it, once he had the ball. Uh, it was uh, he was gone. It was like put it up. Put, it's like you put the receiver on fast forward yeah. to get to the end zone. He just what a gear and tough too. He'd make the catch anywhere in in, in traffic or or going deep. He was uh, he was he was fun to watch. He was oh, one of those guys that you uh, that you know if you got the ball in his hands, he was a, he was a game changer. Uh, he he was basically one of the players who ignited that eighty nine Grey Cup. Ray Algard scored mm-hmm. the Riders' first touchdown that day, but. Uh, Hamilton countered. Mike Kerrigan hit Derek, Derek McAdoo for a touchdown. And the Tiger Cats were still celebrating that touchdown when on the first play of the next offensive series, Ken Austin went deep for Jeff Fairholm, who was interfered with on the play, still caught the pass and went 75 yards for a touchdown. And it was that play that, that turned that game into a track meet. And that was just Jeff Fairholm straight fly pattern. Yeah, he... Uh... You're right. That that was a, a game changer, I think, for us. And, and as well, you know, we we mentioned some of those big names in the game, but uh, the the play of Mark Guy too, I thought was oh. uh, was instrumental in in uh, the the Rough Rider victory. Four catches for 100 yards, two on the final possession, and he had a 52 yard kickoff return that day too. So and he and uh, and he had a a long pass earlier in the game. People remember the two at the end, but he had the long pass as well. If you're Hamilton, you're thinking, okay, I got to watch Elgard, <laughs> I got to watch Fairholme, and I got to watch Narcisse. Uh, and, and they had to watch James Ellingson too, yes. who was tremendous that day. And so, so you know, Mark Guy made the most of that opportunity. You know, and you see that a lot in in uh, in Grey Cup games or championship games where there's a uh, a secondary Canadian player or a secondary American player that. Uh, rises to the challenge because they're, they're, they're worried about the superstars on the team. You know, guys like Mike Maurer. Yeah. When he played with Edmonton. No, it's, it's, it's so true. And, you know, you even look at the 2013 Grey Cup and, okay, uh, the ha- Hamilton's got to be worried about Weston Dresser. Mm-hmm. They've got to be worried about Chris Getzlaff. They, they, they've got to be worried about these about Taj Smith, the mm-hmm. Riders' three 1,000-yard receivers that year. So G. Roy Simon at age 38 totally burns them for two touchdowns yeah that yeah. that option that you might not be focusing on at the time can get you now g roy simon was already a hall of fame caliber player by then he wasn't uh, an unsung hero but defenses weren't really worried about g roy simon then they were worried about the big guys and, uh, and he made him pay you know oh. he he found ways to get well the one touchdown i think you or i were closer to him than any defensive <laughs> back was <laughs> no it was it was in the in the north end zone yeah and uh that got them rolling mm-hmm. and uh and, and you know you talk about 
Talk about Are we still uh, on the air? <laughs> <laughs> I think your mom's saying you have time for bed. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it, it's you know the football's a game of bounces and inches. You know if if Corey Sheets doesn't pick up that ball that that's bouncing around and Hamilton does, they score the touchdown because there's nobody but uh, behind the the defensive lineman. But Corey Sheets picks it up, gains enough yards, gets the first down, and and the Riders roll on the victory. And those are the type of things that so often worked against the Rough Riders in Grey Cups. A bad break here and there would, would derail them in a Grey Cup game. That's why they've lost so many of them. But that was the game where things went their way. Darian Durant fumbled three times that day. Nobody remembers it because breaks went their way by and large. And, you know, Darian had a tremendous game that day. And when you're talking about favorite players to deal with, Darian Durant, Absolute first class. Always, always there for for the media or the fans. You know, he was one of those guys that uh, understood his role as the leader on the team. Totally and, got and, it. And uh, you know, so he was the leader on the field and off the field. In the locker room, you could depend on him to to take the young guys aside and say, "Hey, here's here's the way we're going to roll. This is what's going to happen." And in in the community, same thing. He always had time for the fans. Always had time to make sure that our team was doing the things that they needed to do to be successful. You know, and it's little things like you know, that many fans may not know, but he would take his receivers out for breakfast the day before the game. You, you'd see him at a local establishment uh, buying, buying his receivers breakfast because he knew that there had to be that cohesiveness. That's the kind of leadership that you need to win championships. Yeah, and Darian got it. And that, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, some players who aren't from here, but, you know, but become so passionate about representing this team, this province. Bobby Jurison mm-hmm. was that way. Don Narcisse was that way. Darian Durant was that way. You know, he's uh, he's from Florence, South Carolina, but he's as much Saskatchewan as, yeah. as, as people who have a Saskatchewan birth certificate. And, and, uh, and they... They came in and they made a positive impact on the province. You know, Don Narcisse was one of my favorites because he would uh, he would attend all types of special events that people were holding. He he would go to uh, somebody's birthday party and they'd be having hamburgers and hot dogs. He'd show up and the family would go, wait a minute, I can't give Don Narcisse a hot dog. Let me get you this steak. You know? <laughs> so so and Don was a real leader because he he would teach the young guys that. If something's given to you, it can be taken away. But if you earn it, they can't take it away from you. And and that comes to mind when he was in competition with uh, BK Williams for a starting wide receiver spot. It was my first year with the Rough Riders. And I remember Don Matthews walking with him to the field and he put his arm around Don and said, Don, this week it's a competitive situation between you and BK for the wide receiver spot. And Don won out and had the uh, the Hall of Fame career just because of his work ethic and knowing that he needed to earn something that was could have been given to BK. It seems seems preposterous when you look at it that they're once considering either or with Don Narcisse and BK Williams. But you know, <laughs> sometimes you have to light that fire. Yeah. Right. And uh, and and that's one thing Coach Matthews was able to do was to get the best out of people and, and make them play to a new level and that that little conversation to the field with Don Don Narcisse was the start of a Hall of Fame career. I think we've probably gone on for quite some time. Mark, how many minutes are we at now? Uh, so just coming up on 40. 
we're pushing 40 minutes, so we're getting into record territory. So we're, we're just going to go for another two hours and 15 minutes, and then you can go home, Tony. Um, is there anything you'd like to add in, in summation? No, you know, I think the, uh, the, the important thing is that uh, the team continues to be the heroes that they are on the field to the young kids. And, uh, you know, to to make sure that they're going out to the RMF games and, and, and build those relationships. You see Gene Mikowski doing it with the, uh, and, you know, you see uh, uh, Marcus Adams, the, the people that have remained in the community and have become uh, uh, part of the fabric of, of who we are in Saskatchewan. And I think that's important. And uh, the team needs to have, the the ultimate goal is to win, but I think you need to to have some of those fiber guys with you as you go along. Yeah, at my age, I'm learning that you need more fiber. <laughs> I turned 55 on Saturday, not handling it well. <laughs> Tony, it's been a great pleasure to have you with us once again. Thank you so That's much. It. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Look forward to doing this again soon. And uh, hopefully, the starters and the backups uh, get get healthy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hoping for another day at this age. Um, I have to read this. I am contractually obligated to do so. Please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. It helps us grow the podcasters. And once again, if you'd like to send us a question, feel free to email me at rvanstone at postmedia.com. And uh, we'd be delighted to uh, read the question and and toss it about for a while. So, Tony, again, uh, thank you sincerely for uh, joining us. My pleasure. I'm Rob, and next week we're going to do number 45 of the uh, podcast series, Mike McCullough. Glenn Dobbs, etc. Take care and thanks for joining us today.